Happy New Year. I'm excited to be here. Pastor Brandon is on vacation with his family uh, celebrating the holidays. And so I'm going to talk a little bit with you guys today about what it looks like to live this year a little bit more like Christ. What it looks like to live this year, uh, come into 2023 closer to God than what we came into 2022. Uh, I love to think of every sermon kind of as a pregame speech. Uh, It's probably because I grew up playing sports and uh, just love watching sports. And so here's what uh, a pregame speech looks like for those of you who have never seen one. I'm going to show you one from the movie Hoosiers, but before I do, I want to set up the, the clip. So, uh, in 1951, Norm Dale arrives in Hickory, Indiana, hired by his old friend, uh, a principal named Cletus, uh, who hires him to be a civics and history teacher and a head basketball coach. The best player, Jimmy Chitwood, decides to solely focus on academics instead of focusing on basketball. And so uh, he's down one player off the bat. Uh, He loses two more players in the first practice out of the initial seven, so down to five players. Midway through the season, uh, the town people threaten to fire the coach. And then Jimmy Chitwood comes in and says, hey, I'll play, but only if Coach Dale remains the coach. Uh, Hickory uh, receives and makes it to the state finals uh, because of uh, Jimmy Chitwood's new uh, coming to the team. And they, in Indiana, they, at that time, they only had one class system. So they, didn't ha- they wouldn't have a three-class system uh, like they do uh, here in Michigan. And so the Huskers end up facing uh, a team that's way bigger than what they were, are about school about seven times the size, the South Bend Central Bears that's more t- talented, more athletic, and this leads us to our clip that we're going to show that uh, the coach gives his pregame speech. in tournament play and not talk about the next step until you've climbed the one in front of you. I'm sure going to the state finals is beyond your wildest dreams, so let's just keep it right there. Forget about the crowds, the size of the school, their fancy uniforms, and remember what got you here. Focus on the fundamentals that we've gone over time and time again, and most important, Don't get caught up thinking about winning or losing this game. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. Okay? So Jimmy goes on to score in the last second, and Hickory wins the 1952 state championship. I want you guys to take this sermon, like every sermon, like a pregame speech, for how we're supposed to live a little bit more like Christ. We're, we're called to look differently than the rest of the world. We're called to live differently than the rest of the world, and we're called to love 
differently than the rest of the world. The book of Philippians is written by Paul while he's in jail. Uh, And so we're going to focus on the first eight verses in Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. I've broken it up into three different sections, Philippians 2, 1 through one through two, Philippians two, three through four, and Philippians two, five through eight. So I'm going to read you guys the first section uh, there. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing from the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and one mind. So what does it look like for us to be of one mind? Does that mean that we all have to be the same person? Does it mean that we all have to like the same things or uh, be interested in the same things? If, if everyone was like me, they would, they would love Michigan, the University of Michigan uh, sports teams, even after a loss to Georgia. Uh, they would love my kids, think my kids, Alla Grace and Julia, are the greatest, think my wife is the greatest wife. I hope you think your kids and your uh, husband and wife are the greatest. Uh, they'd love the color blue, and they'd always drive forward cars. Uh, but God is the God of diversity. He's not just the God of uniformity. He, this isn't what, what they're talking about. God's the same God that created the platypus and the dinosaur. He's the same God that created the ant and the antelope. And so you and I are called to be different, and God loves diversity. But here's the, the awesome thing about Greek. So uh, the Greek word for like-minded can also be the same, also be translated into like attitude. And so this can, this can mean that uh, we have the same attitude of Christ and not just the same like-minded. It doesn't mean that we all have to have the same favorites, but in our disagreements and dis. And differences, we are called to have the same love for one another. It means that God loves diversity, but he also wants the same love. He wants us to be humble in our demeanor to serve others at a cost to ourselves. To serve others at a cost to ourselves. In our disagreements, we can love each other. It means nowadays in uh, worship, we can, I would love to have a David Crowder concert every, every week, and I'm sure there's other people in here that would love that too. But there's also people that would love a Gaither concert or for us to only sing hymns from the hymnal. And we can love one another in the midst of wanting different things. We can love one another in the midst of there's people in our church that would love for us to only wear masks, everyone to wear a mask on Sunday morning. And there's people that would love for no one to wear a mask on Sunday morning, and people in the middle. And we can love each other in the midst of that. We can love each other in the midst of our differences. The author Francis Chan uh, writes in his book, Until Unity, he says, if you've experienced the life-changing love of Jesus, you'll be overflowing with the love of God and other, for God and others. It's that simple. It's that simple that you and I are called to love each other because Christ loved us first. There's this podcast that Pastor Brandon got me on to. It's called How to Reach the West Again. And in the, the West, many churches are becoming, many places are becoming de-churched. And so the West being Europe and North America. And so he's got this uh, pastor from rural Netherlands uh, who grew up in the rural Netherlands and moved uh, to be a seminary professor in Amsterdam. So when he grew up in the rural Netherlands, uh, this town that he grew up in was very Christian. And it, 
it had two CRC churches, and they do a pulpit uh, exchange once a year. So the pastor from that tr- from one church would go to the other church, the pastor from the other church would go to the this church. So it'd be like Brandon going to Fellowship CRC and the pastor of Fellowship CRC coming here uh, once a year. But they didn't do it more than once a year because even though they were the same denomination, same town, same culture, they still had some differences in beliefs in that church. So one church thought, hey, women can be elders. Another church said, hey, women can't be elders. And they had those disagreements. But when this uh, university professor moved to Amsterdam. He ran into Christians that were Lutheran and Christians that were Catholic and Christians that were Baptist. And it didn't matter. Those, those, small, those small differences didn't matter. They loved each other just because they all loved Jesus, which is, which is really, really cool. That's how we're called to do. We're called to spread the gospel uh, by loving each other in unity. Uh, Jesus prays this prayer on the last night he's here on earth in John 17, verse 23. Uh, Jesus prays that you and I have unity and like-mindedness on this last night uh, right before he goes to the cross. He says this, I and them and they and me, so that we may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and, the, and have the love in them, even as I love you. And so this is what Jesus says is going to spread the gospel. Going to spread the good news is by you and I being of one love. By you and I loving one another in the same way that Christ loved us. I, verse 1 and 2 tell about, a lot about what we need to do. But verse 3 through 8 tell us how we are to do it. And so if you uh, want to look down, we're gonna, I'm going to focus on verse 3 and 4 for just a minute. Uh, Verse 3 and 4 say this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each to the interest of others. So what does this look like to think of others as better than ourselves? Again, does this look like, hey, someone with more talent, you need to think of someone with less talent as better? So this means that, you know, Andrew on drums needs to think of me who doesn't, can't even get a clo- clo- close to perfect score on uh, rock band drums as a better drummer than him? Of course not. Or that Sherry, who I have a hard time finding middle C, needs to think of me as a better piano player than her? No, of course not. Or I uh, recently watched the movie uh, American Underdog two times since it came out in theaters. Uh, encourage you to go see it. Uh, the Christian quarterback, Kurt Warner, needs to think of me who plays flag football with his friends as a better quarterback than him who's, played, who's a Hall of Famer. Of course not. That's not what it means. What it means is that we need to think about others' needs ahead of our own. This is done out of love for, for Christ. This is how we look differently than the rest of the world, and this is how the rest of the world is pointed towards Christ. Our church does, some, does this in some amazing ways. I, a couple months ago, had a non-Christian friend who posted that every church should be a homeless shelter. And I got to say, hey, our church is actually four times a year a homeless shelter. And they thought that was awesome. And uh, through family promise, we are. And we do some great things through helping hands, and we do some great things making disciples of 
of people are all around the world, like we heard earlier today about Mission India. Uh, and our church supports missionaries and also makes disciples here in Granville and throughout all of West Michigan and throughout the world. But here's some things we could, we could possibly focus on uh, being better. I know every ministry needs a few more volunteers, uh, youth ministry, children's ministry, adult ministries, uh, hand-to-hand, which I, I, is a ministry that provides food to at-risk kids throughout uh, West Michigan, and we bring them in backpacks and bring them to those people. It is an awesome thing, but we need people to pack hand-to-hand food uh, on Monday nights. And like uh, Sherry said, we've got Kelvin University is doing their Kelvin series here. And a week from today, we're hosting it. And uh, on the back uh, wall, we could use some people that could sign up for that. Um, and so we as a church are called to put others' needs ahead of, our, ahead of ourselves at a cost to ourselves. This isn't something that's new. Uh, this is something that uh, the author, pastor, Tim Keller, uh, talks about oftentimes in his sermons. He says, monks in the Middle Ages moved out throughout pagan Europe, inventing and establishing academies, universities, hospitals. They transformed local economies and cared for the weak through these new institutions. They didn't set out to get control of pagan culture. They let the gospel change how they did their work. This meant they worked for the good of others rather than themselves. Christians today should aim to do the same thing, is what Tim Keller says. And how do we go about doing this? It it seems really, really hard to to constantly be putting others in front of yourself. Uh, We do this by having a contentment in Christ. We do this by having a contentment in who Jesus is. Um, And Paul writes later on in Philippians, Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 8, He writes about his contentment that he has in Christ, and that's how he's able to do it. Uh, Philippians 3, 8 uh, says this, What more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. Consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So Paul puts his relationship with Jesus above everything else. He puts his relationship with Jesus above his job, above his uh, retirement account, savings account, above his, even above his family. Uh, he puts his relationship with Jesus as first and has this contentment in knowing that Jesus is going to supply for him. And that's the most important thing in his life. Uh, Paul goes on to write later Philippians 4.13, probably the most famous verse uh, in, in the book of Philippians. Uh, I remember used to say this verse before every race and before big tests, and probably not what, what it was meant for, but it's Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And as I later on read in context, if you read Philippians 4.12 before that, it's talking about that you can be in need or want without, uh, and God will give you strength. So Philippians 4.12 says this, I want, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or whether hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. So you and I, no matter what, as long as we're content in who Christ is, we can put him in front of everything. We can put, our, we can put G- others in front of ourselves because of the love of Jesus that flows out of us, because of this love of Jesus that is in us, we're able to put others in front of ourselves. Uh, we also know that Paul knew that God would meet all his needs. 
Paul knew that God would, would no matter what, either here or in heaven, would meet his needs. And the fact that he was looking forward to heaven, knowing that uh, this time here on earth is so short. He says in Philippians 4.19, he says, My God will meet all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I've seen this countless times before in my life. Most recently, uh, my wife and I and family moved up here from Indiana, from West Michigan, and all of you know that the housing market is just insane here in West Michigan, or at least it for sure was in the fall. Uh, and we put offers on houses and didn't get them. And we had people in church praying and family and friends praying that we would get a house. Uh, we put an offer on a house and uh, five people outbid us, but they chose our offer uh, because we believe that God provides for us. God meets our needs. We've seen this when I worked in Young Life. I've seen this uh, happen time and time again where we'd have to raise our budget and God would come in with um, just the right amount of money right at the right time so that we could have a, a full paycheck. Here's the beautiful thing about God is that God doesn't tell us to do anything he won't do himself. So uh, the last three verses that we're going to focus on is going to talk about how Jesus does all this and is our ultimate example for how to put Christ first, or put others first and put Christ first. It says, in our relationship with one another, we are to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, he found the appearance of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Living, putting us first, cost Jesus everything. Putting us first costs Jesus his very life. You see, he gave up equality with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit uh, to become a man. Uh, we know that Jesus was fully, fully human. Uh, Paul wrote to the Gnostics a lot of time, wrote to the Gnostics who believed at that time that uh, Jesus wasn't fully man. And so uh, Paul writes to the, to the Gnostics saying, hey, he was fully man. Uh, the author of Hebrews talks about, in Hebrews 4.15, talks about how Jesus was tempted in every way. We know that Jesus was fully man because he ate food, he bled, he died. Uh, so we know he was fully man. Uh, and we also know that he was fully God. John 1 talks about how he was the word becoming flesh and he dwelt among us. And so this didn't mean that Jesus making himself nothing didn't mean that he was throwing away his deity. What it meant was that he was putting aside his glory. And you and I are called to do the same things. We're called to put aside our glory for the glory of others, for the glory, and ultimately for the glory of God. Uh, Jesus totally lived out uh, verse 4, where it says, considering uh, counting others better than themselves, because he counted us as better than himself. He counted us as better than himself, because without him, he, we wouldn't uh, have eternal life with Christ Jesus. Now, this isn't me saying that, hey, we need to do good works in order to earn our salvation. Uh, the farthest from that, Jesus already earned our salvation, already earned our right standing with God. Uh, it's not like Buddhism or Hinduism or uh, Judaism or, or Muslim, uh, where you have to do certain things in order to earn your salvation. Jesus has already done that too, for us. What we're doing is in response to Christ, 
where he calls us to love each love other people. Francis Chan, another quote from him from his book Until Unity, it says, "Being a Christian means that Christ has entered you, filled you with His love, and poured out His life through you to the people around you." And so, being a Christian means that Christ has already poured out everything towards us. He's already poured out, and out of His love, we overflow and pour it out to other people. How do we do this? We do this by spending more time with Jesus. The more time we spend in his word, the more time uh, we talk to other brothers and sisters, the more time we pray together, the more time we pray separately, the more we become like him. Um, Every good youth pastor knows and uh, every good sociologist knows that the things that impact teenagers and adults as well is the people they spend time with and the media that they consume. And so for us, the things that we're going to become most like is the people we spend time with and the things that we consume. So if the people we spend time with is Jesus and people who are brothers and sisters in Christ and the things we consume are things of Christ, we're going to become more like Christ. And we all know those couples who have been together for 50, 60 years who can finish each other's sentences and know what the other person's thinking right before they uh, come in right before they even say it. I know for my wife, we've been married for 13 years, and I'll come in the, in the door, and she'll know exactly how good of a day I've had. Re- regardless if I say anything, she'll be like, oh, you had a great day today. Oh, what happened today? It didn't go so well. And uh, I won't even have to say anything because she, she spent so much time with me that she knows my, my posture and how I walk in. And that's the same way we're to be with Christ. We're supposed to spend so much time with him that we start to act like him, that we start to be like him. As I wrap up this pregame speech for how we're to live this year a little bit more like Christ, this is what I want to leave you with. Seek Christ every day. Make him the most important thing in your life. The more time with Christ, the more uh, we start to act and live and love like him. Look to Christ as your example for how to live your life and walk humbly with him. The worship team is going to come up in just a minute, and they're going to sing um, this song called, this old hymn called, Be Now Thy Vision. And I want to encourage you as you're singing the song to think, how can Christ be my vision this year? How can he be my example this year? How can I end this year a little bit more like Christ? So if you wouldn't mind uh, praying with me. Lord God, I thank you so much that we can live this life like you. Lord God, I thank you so much that you died and were an example to us, that you humbled yourself and gave up your glory so that we could be more like you. Lord God, I pray that this church, Ivanish Church, can be known as a church that lives like you, known as a church that is your hands and feet, sacrificing our own Uh, comfort for the glory of you and to give to other people, to point other people towards you. In your son Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen.